Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. For the longest time, I've admired the work of Monique Bolly, not just because she built the Mamma Mia podcast network up to 20 million downloads in the first two years, or that she's an excellent baker, or that now she works for the ABC as an executive producer. I've admired her most because she finishes the things that she starts. And boy, does she have so many things that she starts. I could see in her immediately a creative spark that I sort of have, but don't always follow through with. My name, by the way, is Claire Tonti, and this is Just Make The Thing, a show for people who want to start a thing and keep on making it and find it bloody hard. Monique Bowley has the biggest heart and is a fast-talking wonder woman who you just know would make the best mate to have around in a crisis. She is also a writer, a mum later, a joiner of things, a side hustler, a basketballer, an all-round get-things-done gal of the tallest order, a reality TV show contestant, and an award-winning baker. My favourite fact, though, that I learned recently was that Mons was also branch president of the South Australian Country Women's Association in Adelaide. And when I googled their slogan, it said, caring and sharing with action. I couldn't have summed up this action woman any better myself. Whip smart, creative and hardworking. If you want shit done, Mons is your human. She's also a new mum. And we talked a lot. We had a really similar heartbreaking um, journey to becoming mums. So we had a good chat about that. She snuck out between feeds, breastfeeds that is, to have a good old-fashioned gab with homemade Anzac biscuits. Here she is, the delight that is Monique Bowley. I just wanted to ask you first why you make stuff. Good question. Because you make so much stuff. Doesn't everyone make stuff? No. Isn't this what people do? People do. That's bullshit. Claire, everyone makes things. That's what we do as humans. We make things. Well, I I agree, but I think sometimes people forget that and then they're miserable and they just watch a lot of TV and they forget that we should be making stuff. So that's why I want to know what does making things like you do, you bake, you had a food van, you side hustles, you make podcasts. Why do you make the things you do? What does it give you? Ooh, that is a tough question. I am the frog in the water. <laughs> um, why do I do it? Yeah. Uh, because I love it. Because I love it and I can't, I don't know what the world would be without making things for me. Yeah, as a kid I always made, I was always hustling with lemonade stands on the side of the road and writing books to go in the school library and, I don't know, it was part of my DNA, I guess. Yeah, what kind of kid were you? What were you oh. like? Little Mons. Fat and freckly. <gasps> oh, so I was fat too. I think it makes the best oh. people. Do you? Yeah. Do, do you think it's because we have to work harder with our personalities because we're not lookers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Correct. 
I was always like in school too. I was never that A group. I was always like maybe D or E. And I think it makes you work harder as a person. It does. (laughs) It gives you so much. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, as a kid I was, yeah, fat and freckly and very uh, tomboyish, a very late bloomer, like so late. I'm embarrassed to tell you what what age I like lost my virginity. Is just I was just too busy playing basketball (laughs) and having a good time with my mates and I was really daggy. God. Oh, God, that's why I like you. Oh, that thanks. must be thanks. why because yeah. I'm the biggest dag as well. My goodness. And you're tall, so you'd be a great basketballer. Thank you. Yeah, I'm from a big family and, I don't know, we never had – we weren't spoiled. Like there were four kids and um, we always had like hand-me-down clothes and mum would always sew our clothes and just – yeah, just like one of those real Brady Bunch kind of childhoods. Like rough and tumble. A little bit. In there. Yeah. I want to ask too, did you watch a lot of TV when you were a kid? No, I didn't watch any TV. In fact, someone <laughs> asked me the other day, because Luke Perry's died recently. I'm yes. not sure when this is going to be published, but in the news this week, Luke Perry died. And someone said, did you watch 90210? I was like, I never watched it. It passed me by. I didn't watch Friends. I didn't watch Gilmore Girls. I didn't watch... I have so many cultural references that I do not understand. Simpsons? Because Simpsons? I, I was playing yeah. basketball every night. I was on a, a training every night. No, we didn't watch TV hardly at all. Yeah, because I've noticed a pattern in that. I know Annabelle Crabb didn't. I know Zoe Foster Blake didn't. And I've started to think, because my son does watch, not Lost, but quite a bit, and I've started to notice a pattern. Do you reckon there's something about having to be bored and make up your own stuff? Massively. Do you yeah. know the other thing is, Claire... I am so much less creative now that social media has come along. I think back to my time of life when I was happiest and when I was most producing the best work and the most creative, maybe not the best work, but like in terms of volume. And it was when it was before Instagram and I didn't have Wi-Fi at home. So I would get home from work and I would sew something or I would bake something or I would marmalade something or I would like go out and see the thing or go to a group or yeah, it was, I was way more social. I had my brain neurons fired in different ways, I reckon. I was doing piano lessons. Like, who does that now? Like, now all I do is just scroll my life away on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And then feel bad about yourself. Yeah. I do anyway. You get that in that weird social media blah I know. feel where everyone else's life looks better than yours. I hate it. I hate it. I have such a hate, hate relationship with social media. Does that come from your parents? that idea that you're just constantly be a part of a thing, make a thing? No, I think it comes from maybe, God, this is like a therapy session. You should charge people for this stuff, Claire. Um, Welcome to Just Make the Thing. What do I do? Uh, Our parents had like a bit of a um, don't come in the house kind of policy, like just go outside and make your own fun. So maybe you stemmed from that. But didn't everyone have that? I don't know. No. Um, don't come home till it's dark, that that whole whole chestnut. Where did you grow up? In Adelaide, in the burbs of, of Adelaide, which I love. I miss it. I want to be back there, but there's no work there. So uh, here we are in beautiful Melbourne. How did you end up here in <sighs> Melbourne? My husband got a job in Melbourne, the dream job, his dream job. And I had to make that decision. This is before we were married. We'd only just met, actually. And I was like, I think this is the guy I'm going to marry. And he's like, well, I'm off to Melbourne. And I had this decision to make where I had um, a newspaper column in Adelaide. I had a really good job. I was president of the Country Women's Association. Like I had all this stuff going on. And it was, do you abandon all of that and chase the boy and Mm. make that a thing? 
And so, yeah, I did. I took the risk. I dived in. Uh, oh, so cool. How long but how long had you been dating before you did that? Not long. Maybe, oh, gosh, six months. Wow, that yeah. is big. I know. You must have known. But, you know, it's one of those things where I always thought I would live in Melbourne for a time of my life. I think everyone in Adelaide has that period where they go, oh, I've just got to go to Melbourne for a bit. So I knew it was one of those inevitabilities, I think. So, And, you know, sometimes the universe kind of provides and things happen and things fall into place. I was like, well, obviously the universe is sending me a pretty big sign that it's time to go to Melbourne. Yeah, so I just went with it. Cool. And how did you meet your husband? At work. Mm. At um, Where was that? At the ABC in Adelaide. So it's a fun fact about the ABC because it's taxpayer funded. Um, you have to take all your own like tea bags and coffee and stuff. They don't provide anything, like, not even a jug of, not even a carton of milk, Hi. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're so, 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 so skint on, on that sort of stuff. And I was always never organised enough to pack a tea bag or a bit of milk or nothing. And so um, every day I'd barrel in and Nick, my husband, his office was across from the kitchenette and I would just kind of saunter in there and be like, oh, hey, how's what's going on? What are you working on today? Oh, by the way, can I borrow a tea bag? <laughs> and, oh, my God, Claire, I drank so much tea, so much tea because he was cute, right? He was cute and I was like, oh, I'll just ask him. I'll keep asking this guy. And then finally the girl that sits next to him like nudged him and said, she could ask anyone for a tea bag. <laughs> she keeps asking you, like, pick up the signal, pick up what she's putting down, mate. And he was like, oh, oh, really? Oh, okay. And then we sort of started dating from there. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of tea was consumed in my pursuit of that. Yeah. I mean, look, I love a tea yeah. as well, but I also love a cute boy too. Mm-hmm. That is very fun. Yeah. And there's a couple, it's a bit of a weird thing at the ABC Adelaide where there's quite a few married couples there. It's like something in the water, something in the air, something in the kitchenette. That, something, yeah. something in the adversity of having to bring your own shit. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Brings yeah. people together. Yeah. yeah. Did you have that immediate chemistry with Nick? No. Wow, really? No, I mean, I thought he was cute yeah. and he was a bit like daggy and he's just nice. Like, yeah, he's probably the kindest person I've ever met and that, I found that very um, appealing. So, Yeah. He's going to hate that we're talking about him. He's so intensely private and I'm so not. And he's just like, I can he- I can just feel him going red just listening to this now. No more Nick talk, no more Nick talk. Okay, no more Nick talk. Okay, I won't ask you. But you must have just been head over heels and, and you went to Melbourne. Mm. Did you go for a job as well? Did you work at the ABC in Melbourne? Or when did you apply yeah. for Mamma Mia? I came over and I got a job at Bush Telegraph, which was a radio national show which covered kind of like really big um, agricultural, blah, 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 mm. like rural issues, rural stories across Australia. And I just got a job producing on that, just kind of filling my time. And then that show got axed. That's right. So here I have, I landed in Melbourne, got this great job in RN. And because I love RN, it produces some of the best radio content, I think, in Australia. So I was just like loving my life sick. Like I got to, my job as a producer on that show was literally just to research really interesting things and then turn it into beautiful radio like segments. Like what a great job. You get paid for studying pretty much. Oh, so, um, and then yeah, it got axed and I was kind of like, oh no, what now? And then a friend of mine said, I think you should meet Jamila Rizvi, who was, she was the editor-in-chief of Mamma Mia. And so I just went for a coffee with her. But before I went for a coffee with her, because I, I adored Mamma Mia, I'd like um, gone for a job there a couple of years before. It hadn't worked out. Like I never didn't get the job. And um, I just loved what they were doing at the time. And then um, I met with Jamila and just had a coffee with her and kind of hit it off. Like I went in very prepared. Yeah. 
Claire. I was like, <laughs> here's what I, here's some of my writing. Here's a, listen, uh, this is so boring. Let's move on to some other topics. No, it's not boring because so many people will look at your career and what you have created, and by people I mean me, and just admire where you've got to and the journey that got you there. So I think I hate saying the word journey, but I think it's really interesting. Do you know what I think? Know. I think the underlying thing, the only thing you need to know about my career, like the Cliff Notes version, is that I just say yes to everything. You know how it's very popular to say no nowadays? Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, mm, say, you've got to learn how to say no, ladies. Da, 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 da. No, I did the opposite. I say yes to everything and it opens up so many great doors and channels. And yeah, you work hard and yeah, you do some things that are like, oh, that was a waste of time. But most of the time, like... It, things really can happen for you. Yeah. So that I, I just kind of follow that path. Tell me about the competition that kind of got you into broadcasting. Didn't you win something? Yeah, okay. This <laughs> is so, my favourite because when I met you at Ozpod, I think you told me this story. I loved it anyway. Well, I went tell. to – I was at the University of Adelaide and I loved university. I loved it. And um, I was just like chuffing around campus one day and there was a flyer on the wall that said, do you want to be an entrepreneur? Or it said something like, are you an entrepreneur? And I didn't know what the word meant. I mean, nowadays everyone's a freaking entrepreneur, oh, right? Yeah. But back then, I don't know, what would it be, 19, maybe 2001, oh, 2002? The olden days. The olden days, right? Um, I was like, oh, what a cool word. I don't know what that is. Maybe I'll just go along to this thing and find out what it is. So I'm sitting there and it was a competition that the university were running called the E-Challenge, the Entrepreneur's Challenge. And it was like, if you had a business idea, you write a business plan and then you pitch it to investors and um, like a Shark Tank, before Shark Tank even existed, right? So I was like, this is great. There's all these people with all these like crazy, amazing ideas. And at the time, I always had like crazy, amazing ideas. You know, some of them are very bad ideas, but I was, I'm an ideas person. And I was like, these are my people. These are my people. Anyway, I met a guy there who was like, you seem fun. Do you want to join my team? And I was like, yeah, I'll join your team. And so I had no idea what a business plan was, but I linked up with this guy, Austin, and we wrote this business plan and ended up winning this e-challenge, the entrepreneur's competition. And we run like $50,000 in cash and prizes. That is so much money. Isn't it? I know in the early 2000s, it was so, we got like new computers and this was before everyone just had like a, like smartphones, everything. It was just unreal. And what then, did you do on the stage though to win it? Like what did, you must have done something pretty oh, amazing. Claire, I made, so I was also dabbling in like video production <laughs> and I made this video for our pitch, for the pitch to the angel investors. We just, I don't know, I just kind of added a bit of zhuzh. So it was Austin who was like very business brained and there was another guy who was like a lawyer and I kind of remember there was another guy who was like an accountant and I just kind of brought like the, the like the pizzazz to it. So when it came to like the pitch presenting, I just like imparted the pizzazz. And sometimes I think in life it's really all you need, like just to get people on board with stuff is just like show a bit of enthusiasm and a bit of like creativity and people are like with you. So that's the only skill that I brought to the table. And um, anyway, blah, blah, blah. So we win. And then the next year when it came to launching the new competition, which they were doing it again, it was like even bigger this year, they said, would you would you launch it? Like it's a pretty funny story that you didn't know what the word entrepreneur meant and then you end up winning the thing. So will you stand up and launch it? I was like, sure, that'd be great. So I stood up at this big media launch and I told the story about how I didn't even know what the word meant and I went, went on to win it. So, you know, this is a competition for everyone. 
And um, in the crowd was a guy who worked at, like, Adelaide's biggest radio station. And he came up to me afterwards and said, you need to work in radio. And I said, I want to work in radio. And he was like, here's my card. And I was like, here's my foot in your door and I'm never taking it out. So he, like, I just did every, I mean, I just knocked on his door and I didn't stop. I did all the shifts, all the bad shifts he gave. He, He would ring me out and go, do you know how to produce a show. I was like, yes, of course I'd know how. To, yes, I do, yes, I know how to do that. Do you know how to panel? Yes, I know how to do that. I didn't know anything, Claire. I just got in there and was like, well, if I just act confident, maybe people will believe that I know what I'm doing. And that's kind of, I just winged it. Because what were you studying at uni? I was doing arts. Okay, so just like a general arts. Mm. So you didn't, were you studying broadcasting? Or no, radio? I wasn't. I was doing arts and I was really interested in law and I was really interested in, in psychology and yeah. Yeah. But I was listening, it's funny, um, I've read a lot about career, I've just made a careers podcast and a lot of what I read talks about if you're um, in a situation where you're like, oh, I don't know what I want to do with my career, you should always look back to what you wanted to be when you're a kid. Do you ever do that? Mm. Yeah. What did you want to be when you were a kid? A teacher and a writer. And now what? I was a teacher and now I guess I'm a writer. Yeah. I talk well, a lot. Yeah, you're a producer. <laughs> a producer, yeah. You produce like words, right? Yeah. yeah. So when I was a kid I wanted to be a writer first and foremost and the other thing I would do was I would always, um, I listened to a lot of radio as a kid but I think everyone did. Like did you listen, I used to listen under my sheets to like Dr Feelgood and I used to listen to like just n- late night talkback radio all the time yeah. as a kid. Like what a weirdo. But And so... And then I used to make my own little radio shows and I'd forgotten and then I was like, oh, yes, I did. I kind of, you do end up kind of circling into what you, what your childhood kind of leads you down, I guess. You absolutely do. Well, all the psychology says that, that yeah. our, we learn the most in the first five years of life, right? Mm. And and I often think the person that you are as a three and four-year-old is who you end up being after all the teenage shit. Yeah, and you yeah. come out. Yeah. As, and whatever you loved at that window of time really shapes who you are and the way that you interact with everything. Yeah. So interesting. That makes sense. So, yeah. yeah. So this radio guy was like, yeah, come work in radio. And I, I literally just did probably two years of all the really awful shifts, like New Year's Eve, Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, like anything they threw my way, I did it without complaint. I was just like, yep, got it, on it doing it. Yep. And anytime someone went away, I was like, first put my hand up, like, yep, I'll fill in. I'll do whatever it takes. I don't care what you pay me. Just give me more work. And then eventually someone left and then I just got their job. Like basically in radio, I felt like, I felt like I had to wait for someone to die before (laughs) I could get a job there. Cause it's so like, those jobs are so good. People don't leave them. Once they're in them, they stay in them for so long. And I was like, how am I ever going to get a job? And I guess the thing was, I just hung around long enough and just turned up when it counted and did whatever it took. And like, it's something that I see now in people that come and work like younger people. I don't want to rag on any generations because they're all different and that millennials, which I am one of them, they are extremely hardworking and the job market's really, really hard. But I've seen like people come into internships or whatever and have a bit of an air of I'm too good to do that and I think that's, I don't know, I just think you've got to be so confident in your work to be able to do that. Like even now in my career I will still, if my presenter needs their dry cleaning picked up or if they need anything done, I'll still do it for them because whatever makes their life easier so they can perform best on air is what, that's what the job of a producer is. So I'll do it. Like people are always like, would you really go and get their dry cleaning? I'm like, yes, I would actually. Whatever makes someone's job easier, 
I don't yeah. know. No, and don't you? I think- don't want to sound like Mother freaking Teresa here because I'm not. <laughs> but yeah, that's something I really have. I'm going to just keep saying admire. But that's one of the things you can see in your work is that it's that extra little step. It's that extra little five percent that makes all the difference mm. from taking something that's good to being brilliant. And I've noticed it from the minute you walked in, you were like, are the levels right? Are we doing this right? This is boring. Can you cut this here? Like, And it's brilliant because that takes what could just be a pretty mediocre, okay, yeah, that'll do thing into something that like what you've created with, say, the Mamma Mia podcast network or with Mamma Mia Out Loud or Hello Bump or the Panama Project. It is what makes it a success. It's how you have given me these most beautiful Anzac biscuits that are like blue ribbon award winning from the Royal Adelaide Show. I think that's what it is about you and why um, it's not an accident that now you're an executive producer because you'll do that extra step. How do I like remain humble with all of these compliments you're throwing at me? Just Uh, take them aboard and be like, I am amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think it can drive the people I work with pretty nuts sometimes because I demand a lot from them. And when I was at Mamma Mia, it was a really high performance workplace. It was like, you go hard, you go so hard and then you go home, but who cares about that? Come back and go hard again. And I really thrived under that. I just really, really loved that. I think um, because I also spent a lot of time in my youth as like a basketball, like I played at a pretty high level. And it's like the more work you put in, the better you get, the better you get, the better you get. Like it's just like this muscle. If you keep working that muscle, you're just going to get better and stronger. And um, so I have like that same approach to work. But I must say, like I was only thinking the other day on the first season of The Pineapple Project, which is um, a podcast we made with the ABC about money, about finance, um, the girl that I worked with, Rachel Fountain, her and I, we pulled so, so much, so so many long hours and so many weekends and she was a great example of someone who just went with me along the journey of the extra mile and I just think like all these great things that I've done, it's not just me, it's like the people that are around me too, like everyone's pulling their weight and everyone's going the extra mile. So to say that it's just like me doing the extra 5% is not, it's me and the people around me too. Yeah. Mm. But it's the energy that you bring to that that brings people along with you as well. I think when people have a goal to, or a, a vision or an energy, like you were saying before, with the competition that you won, if you've got that extra bit of like zhuzh, people are like, yeah, okay, yeah. we'll bloody do it. Yeah. Is that like sport? Is it like, like being in a sporting team? Do you team? know, I, it must be. Like I just keep, yeah, I think my psychology was so formed by playing sport in my youth that, yes, everything I do now is like to get the best out of me, I just relate back to sports analogies. And that's another great thing about, so my manager, Kelly Reardon, she heads up like ABC Audio Studios and she sent me a text the other day um, because I've just had a baby and I was just like, it is so, it's so hard. It's like the hardest shit I've ever done in my life. And she sent me some text about, that had a sporting analogy in it and I was just like, God, I love you. Like that's what you want in your life is like the people around you that know how to get the best out of you and she knew that all I needed in that moment was like a sporting analogy and I was like, yes. Again, people making me better, like, yeah, me making other people better. It's like a big, beautiful, symbiotic relationship. Yeah, and it's so much better when you succeed together, right? Yeah, massively, massively. I'm such a team person and everyone's always like, why don't you go freelance? Why don't you just go consulting? I'm like, because I need people around me. I'm a team player. Yeah. Yeah. How have you gone then with being a mum? Because that's a whole different kettle of fish. You had a pretty tough journey 
actually. Yeah, to I know. I did. I had a, a miscarriage that was. Um, I talked about it on a podcast. I can't remember what podcast it was. Was it Mamma Mia Mama or Out Loud? Out Loud. Yeah, yep. it was. It was Mamma Mia Out Loud. Because um, I suddenly went missing for a couple of weeks, and obviously because I was like recovering from the miscarriage, and no one knew I was pregnant, and then. When, when we came, I came back to work and we sat down to record the weekly episode of Mamma Mia Out Loud and I just, it just, all this grief just like bubbled up and poured out of me and it, the show was never meant to be about my miscarriage or what happened but I just couldn't, like once I started talking about it, I couldn't stop and then after we recorded it, Mia Friedman, who was um, and still is the head of Mamma Mia, said, you know, we don't have to push publicity on this. If it was just, you know, it's very personal for you. She was always very supportive I um, never want you to do anything you're uncomfortable with. And I was like, I was just in such a dark, awful place that I was like, no, nah, get it out there, publish it. And I still get messages now from people saying, thank you so much for talking about that because I'm in this boat right now and it's the worst and no one gets it, but you got it. And so that's pretty nice. Mm, what um, surprised you about it? About miscarriage? Mm. <sighs> oh, God, so many things. Um I felt so um, angry at my body for, like, betraying me. I was like, you had one job, like, just keep this baby alive. You couldn't do it. You're a piece of shit, you know, like that whole thing. Um, I was really surprised at my grief and then I was felt really guilty about my grief because I felt so um, – I was so sad. I've never been so sad in my whole life. And then I'd have people go, well, how many weeks was it? Like my grief didn't match up to how many weeks the baby – like how old mm. the baby was. And I was just like, what is it? matter how old the baby was. Um, so that surprised, surprised me how, um, yeah, just how much it it hit me, how how hard it, I found it. I think because I'd wanted it for so long. Because, you know, um, when you're a teenager, you just spend your whole life trying not to get pregnant. And then when you want to get pregnant, it's like, oh, actually, this is really hard. Like mm-hmm. to get the sperm in the egg is like a whole big thing. And I'd wanted it for so long and be trying for so long and then, yeah, it was just, I don't know, a lot of emotions. Mm. You, yourself, you are nodding at me like you know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, well, yeah, well, you know, I had a miscarriage too and I do, I completely relate to everything you just said and I think the more we can talk about it because it was a shock to me that it could, I just never in my wildest dreams thought it would happen to me. I don't know why because now I know it's so common, mm. but people don't talk about it. No. And I think maybe you hear some stats, but you think, oh, it's very unlikely. And I am like you, I think, heart on sleeve, love to tell everybody everything. So I, I told people I was pregnant and was so like carried away. I remember you saying, I so related that you'd bought stuff, oh. prepared, like you were like, I'm a, you know, I'm pregnant, woo. And like, if you're a forward planner. Yep. All of those things. That was the other thing that really compounded the grief was that so I'd sp- I'd spent all this money on like maternity clothes and then they started arriving after I'd had the miscarriage and it was like a punch in the face every time I'd get like a package from like, I don't know, wherever it was. And then because I'd been buying online these maternity clothes or baby clothes and then all these ads in my Instagram feed were just like for more baby stuff and I was just like, what the- uh, it was like being punished. I felt like I was just being punished over and over every time I looked at my social media. And then there's the whole thing of everywhere you look, everyone's getting pregnant mm. and you just feel so angry about it and so, yeah, so hurt by it, like mm. like you're being personally attacked. It's a really awful place to be in. And there's and then there's the, what everyone tries to say to you, like people are so well-meaning but they often say things like, oh, it wasn't meant to be or there was something wrong with it or, you know, 
And all I wanted people to say was, I'm sorry, that's really fucked. That, that's all I wanted to hear was people just go, yeah, that's fucked up. Mm. Yeah, anyway, hard times. But um, And then so then, of course, now I have a baby and then I felt really conflicted about when I was pregnant, it was all happening and I was like, do I tell people because how much do I talk about this online as well? Because I know the feeling of being on the other side and not being able to have a baby and I know, like I want I want women to know that even though I'm sharing that all my joy, I also see you if you're in that. And I remember we did a Mamma Mia Out Loud live event when I was pregnant and I just had to say, if you need to leave the room right now before I go to talk about this, I get it. I've been there. I am you. Go. Like, I will not be offended because, um, yeah, I think like going through that experience was horrible, but now it lets me walk a mile in people's shoes that have, are going through it at the moment. And that's a really nice thing. Equally, sorry, just listen to me pour out everything. Okay. So sometimes when Ted, my son, <laughs> like being a new mum is like really, really hard, but I don't feel like I can complain about it, Claire, because I'm like, you wanted this. You wanted this so much. How you cannot actually complain about this because how un- you will just sound so ungrateful. I just feel like this pressure to like cherish every moment. And I do most of the time. There's a lot of times I don't cherish too, but I can't, I don't feel like I can probably talk about that too much because everyone will be like, well, didn't you want this so bad for like so many years? It's like you're like trapped in a bit of a bind. Yeah. But you know what? I think you can. I think you can talk about it. Because I think that's also a very common thing. Women have miscarriages, then women become parents, or women have IVF and go through all of that and then become parents. And it's freaking hard being a mom. Yeah. It's so freaking hard. It's one of the hardest things that, or for or me, I've ever done. And I think if then we don't talk about the experience. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. After it. Then everyone else is sitting by themselves in their own grief, being like, I can't say how hard this is. Mm, massively. You know? Yeah. How has it changed you becoming a mum of 10? Oh, man. Okay. So, and you would ask this, and I find it very hard to articulate, but I feel like I think someone said it once, I think maybe it was Mia Friedman, that when you become a mother, it's like carrying your heart on the outside of your body. And I felt like after um, I gave birth to Ted, I felt like someone had like split me down the middle and opened up my chest. That's how like raw and exposed I felt. And I was just like, I did not know the human body or the human mind could feel this kind of depth of emotion. It's like frightening, right? It's like overpowering. You're like, I think I just have to get into the fetal position on the bottom of the shower because that is how much I feel like overpowered by love. And so that was pretty surprising. I was and I just kind of went with it. Like I was scared. I was like scared about how much I felt of the love I felt. And I was like, no, I think this is maybe what life is about. I don't know. Maybe this. I just need to like lean into all of this like weird raw emotions. It's made me like super efficient at everything I do because I only get like two minutes to do everything every day. So no more dilly dallying. And like it's made my decision making muscle really strong because I'm just like, boom, that's done. That's made decision done, done because there's just no time. But one of the hard things that I find is, and actually someone 
else wrote this. I'm going to read it to you. I took a screenshot of it the other day. There's this book called Creativity and Motherhood, which is amazing. Claire Bowditch was like, get this book. You will get it. You need this book. She talks about that actually when I interviewed her in another episode, Claire Bowditch. She's so awesome, that woman. Okay, this book is called Motherhood and Creativity, The Divided Heart by Rachel Power. And it's all about like how do you balance being a creative person and being mum when you've just got to like actually feed people and change nappies and it's just like this relentless cycle of going shh, shh, shh for 18 hours a day. So she writes, she writes in this book, like most mothers, I wasn't prepared for that overwhelming love and all it brings. The sudden raw exposure to the world I'd brought my child into, previously unimagined fears and new depths of compassion. And with this came a drive to create, to make use of this emotional intensity and find a point of stillness in the chaos. Just as my capacity to write or paint or make music was compromised as never before. And I have never felt this so acutely. So with all of this raw emotion and powerful intensity of love comes all these ideas. I'm like, oh God, there's, I've got this idea for a podcast. Like in the first um, six weeks of Ted's life, I had like 19 ideas for podcasts or content or blogs or whatever. And then as I have all these ideas that it's just like a crushing inability to actually firstly remember anything and secondly do anything about it. And I remember in the first maybe week 10 of his life, I set my laptop up on the, on the top of a laundry of a basket of a basket of washing in the laundry. And I was like, so I could wear him in the baby Bjorn and write at the same time. Cause I was like, I just need to get all this stuff down. It's in my head. And I was like, I'm going to write 500 words a day. That's my aim. I'm just going to write 500 words a day. I just need it to keep me sane. Guess how many words I've written? probably 60, if that, maybe even less, like two dozen words. That's all I've been able to do. And I like... That's not you though. In previously, that wouldn't be you, right? Because you're very determined Yeah. once you set a goal. Yeah, but there's no goals anymore. The goal is keep your baby alive and have a shower every day. That's the goal. This interview with you, Claire, is like my big outing for the, like the month. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. Yeah. Completely. So motherhood's changed me like I was scared that I'd have no new ideas. I was scared that I would lose, like, all my creativity. But I think it's still all there. It's just being able to, like, get it out as quick as I can. Do you ever suffer, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this, from guilt of loving other things like creativity and creating your ideas as well as Ted? Do you ever have that conflict? No. No. So you don't feel guilty about spending time writing or trying to do creative stuff? Like when you're not with Ted, no, like, do you feel guilty I don't think today? I'm. F- no, I don't think I'm far enough down the path of motherhood yet. I'm still. It's still really early days. Because I also it makes you a better person. It makes me happier to, if I can like come home having spent like a half an hour with you and be like have a spring in my step. That makes me a better mum. So whatever. I love that. Yeah. Because that's what I think is interesting to me. A lot of creatives have this kind of tortured. It's not good enough. I don't have the persistence. I'm stuck. Kind of feeling. And in you, I don't see that. Mm. Do you ever experience like self-doubt and kind of like, oh, I can't do this, I'm not good enough? Yeah, every project I do, I get to that point. So this is, there's like a, a, (laughs) the cycle that I go through as a creative is the same every time. I start out like all guns blazing. You're the same. I know, I can see it in your eyes. You have the idea, you're like, this is the greatest thing ever. And then you get into it and you've like planned it out. You're like, yeah, this is still a goer. I've got so much energy behind this. And then you get like halfway around and you go, what was that? This is the dumbest. What am I? This is so bad. I'm a piece of shit. 
why did anyone ever think this was going to be good? Why did I think this was going to be good? This is terrible. What am I doing? I'm wasting my life. And then often you go on and make the next idea because you crave like the adrenaline of like the start of the idea again, right? So you never finish anything. Mm-hmm. Now I get paid to finish the thing. So I have to like push through that horrible part and keep going, keep going, keep going. I think it's just a natural part of a creative process is to think you're shit. And you probably are shit. Like Ira Glass did this, um, he's like the host of Uh, This American Life, and he talks about a lot about creativity. And something I listened to of his once, you would have listened to it too, I'm sure. He's like, probably the first 10 years of your creative life, you are going to be making shit. But then one day you'll make something that's like, okay. And then then you might make something that's pretty good. And you just got to make a lot of shit before you get to the good stuff. Yeah, you got to put in the hours. Yeah. And do the work. Sadly. Yeah, you do. And also, like, not every project's going to be a winner all the time. That's also really, really hard because I think now there's all this pressure on everything that you create to be amazing. Like, all these people I know are like, like, even these mums in my parents' group are like, feel pressure to be like mummy insta influencers or whatever they're called. And like, I'm just like, Where does this come from? Why can't we just enjoy wearing a nice outfit? Why does everything we do have to then have a purpose on social media? I don't know. I just feel Mm. like there's pressure like never before that everything you have to do has to be uh, successful or, yeah, just bring in money or something. It's just that is like the antithesis to creativity. Don't you think? Like, yeah, you cannot worry about what people think really. That's huge because it's hard not to, right? Massively, yeah. Yeah, What do you do to get through that awful stage where you're like, this is a total train wreck? What have I done? I can't do it. I think I go back to the start and the core of why we're doing the thing that we're doing. And I just remind myself that, yes, there's a need for this and there's an audience for this. And that's okay. And I also just remind myself, oh, yes, this is happening again. This is just part of it. It's part of the creative process. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. And also, like, I just call my friends and go, tell me I'm not a piece of shit. And they go, no, it's actually great. You're doing a good job. Whether they're lying or not, who knows? But that's the role of girlfriends. They just lift you up. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I've got the best girlfriends for that. Like, amazing. Yeah. What, do you, what makes a good friend? Generosity of spirit. Not necessarily of things. Like I've got friends that will give me lots of things, but just friends that will just um, back you and support you, but also be honest with you. That's important too. Um, Am I doing way too much talking? No, it's an interview. You're supposed to be talking. I know, but this is the whole point. Am I providing value? This is what the thing I can't decide is am I providing value right now to your audience or not? Yes. Maybe not. Yes. This is, it's really hard. This is what I love about being a producer is that you're at arm's length of the talent so you can tell when something's on track or not. But when you're the person talking, sometimes you don't know. You just like lose the ability to understand if you're, yeah, anyway. No, here's what so I. So I'm a better producer than a presenter. You're not though because you're a brilliant presenter. <laughs> and what I think that you do, and now I'm just telling you what, what you're good at, one of the things that I think is so valuable is that you are talking about stuff that everybody feels and saying it honestly and openly, like motherhood and how oh, it's yeah. hard or how to be a good friend or the mental process that goes into being a creative. And I think sometimes people have a veneer, even like a social media sort of like filter on everything they say, and that doesn't connect. So boring, isn't it? It's boring. It's so boring. Because really life is, is, I believe anyway, mostly about this is me, who are you, tell me what you really feel. Oh, my God. Yes. Can we swear on this podcast? Yes. I already have. Correct. Like 
I want, yeah, well, I connect with people when they tell me how fucked things are or like things are a bit shitty or whatever. I'm like, oh, yes, you're my kind of person. You can tell it straight. Yeah, yeah. it's when you have those people that treat conversation and your personal interactions like an Instagram filter that I'm just like, I'm out. No, you're yeah. not my person. No, I'm tapped out. I yeah. can't do small talk. No. Within a second of meeting someone, I'm like, so this is my deepest, darkest oh. fear. What do you think? Do you know who's like that? M. Rusciano. I think, or is it Rusciano? I don't know. I get it wrong. Apologies. I think it's Rusciano. She says you should start a conversation in the middle of a conversation. So just dive straight in. And you know, actually, one of the best parties I've been to, it was a wedding. We were sitting, I got put on a table where I didn't know anyone and I said, let's all go around and say something about ourselves, right? Just like break the ice. Give me, give us a fun fact about yourself. And the guy next to me, I said, you start. And he said, you know, my name's Steve and <laughs> this is, okay, content warning. This is, it taps into some serious content. He said, my name's Steve and last year I was extremely depressed and was in a really, really dark place and I had to go into uh, a clinic and now I'm okay again. And I was like, what a ballsy thing to start with. But what it did was it then like set the tone for everyone to like tell their deepest, darkest secrets around the table. And there was all these strangers just coming out with these things. And it, what it did is just like opened the conversation and got it to new depths like really, really quickly. There was none of this, how's the weather? What do you do for work? It was like, hey, guess what? I'm really depressed and I went to like a psych clinic. What about you? It was just awesome. I was like, yes, and that's what Em talks about, like go straight to the middle of the conversation. It does galvanise you though, right? That's what like, I mean. It massively. does because suddenly it's you're not alone. Yeah. You are not alone. And often we're all walking around with our big old armour on and Glennon Doyle, who I like obsess over, talks about this a lot, that actually we're all walking around in our loneliness and the only way that we can break that down, and I think it's part of the creative process as well, is just showing people who we really are and you can't do that unless you're like, this is my shit, look at it, what do you think? Is yours the same? Like what you said before, that you have to not worry about it and just make it anyway. Yeah, you do. But it's hard. Or do with the thing anyway, Yeah, whatever it is that you want to do. I want to ask you now about working at Mamma Mia and then – how you actually created the whole podcast network there? No, not entirely true. So there was a podcast when I went to work there, mm-hmm. that a girl called Kate Lever, who was there um, before me, she was a real early adopter of podcasts. So she started Mamma Mia Out Loud. And I, before I was working there, um, I, was, I would listen to it. And I thought, I listened to, I think they'd only done three or four episodes. But I remember listening and just thinking, oh my God, this is amazing. Like this is exactly what women need is because, you know, at that point it was was quite a few years ago now but women in broadcasting had just been completely ignored and here was this new medium that um, existed and I was like, yes, 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 give me more, more, more. Um, And then when I, yeah, got the job at Mamma Mia, they hired me as an editor, nothing to do with podcasts and I think it was like day one or two, I just said to Mia Friedman, so I've got all this background in radio and producing. I think Mamma Mia Aloud is freaking amazing, but I think it, you need to do this, this, this and this with it and it could be really, really good. And she was like, oh, sure, okay, go do it. And I was like, what? She was like, yeah, whatever, I trust you, that's fine, go. And so she kind of just gave me a very long leash to do whatever I wanted and that was that. And then within, I think, three months we had three shows. Then in the first 
like six months, we had a million downloads. And then we got like that year, we got Apple, iTunes, whatever, best new podcast. And it was just like, boom, boom, boom. It was good. It was a, it was a really um, fortuitous situation. It was really good timing. It was really good, um, like, it was just like everything came together in, yeah. yeah. it was one of those things where it's almost like the universe steps in and goes all the things that you've been working on leading up to their crossover. Totally. Bang. I was so, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And I don't want to say I'm lucky because um, Jamila Rizvi says women say that far too often. They go, oh, I'm just so lucky I was in the right place at the right time. Well, no, I worked really hard and I saw an opportunity and I went for it. I said, this is what we should be doing. And I had someone that said, yes, go do it. I trust you. So, yeah. Wow. What was it when you were sitting with Mia Friedman and you said you need to do this and this and this and this? Mm. What was the this and this and this and this and this to make that podcast go? Okay, so they had the intention Right, they had the the best intention, but they. Um, I thought that they could have done a tightened it up a little bit. It was a little bit like um, sloppy, I guess, like a little bit lax. I needed to make tighter segments, and because I'm a big um, proponent of not wasting people's time, I think people are so time poor. If someone invests in clicking on your article or listening to your thing, you've got to make every minute count, really. That's my biggest pet hate with podcasts is people that just chitty chat away like you and I are doing right now, right? Just cut out all the shit that we say, Claire, and get to the good guts of this. Okay, promise me you'll do that. Do not waste people's time. So um, not that they were, but I just uh, thought the production needed, like the sound of it needed, they were just recording it on um, maybe an iPhone or something and I, they just needed a good... Um, a couple of good mics, a nice room that had sort of like some carpet or a doona over it or something, like something that would make it sound a little bit better and um, just tighten up the content, bring some segments into it and just punch it up really, just, yeah. What happened, because I know the Pineapple Project recently did an episode on burnout, what happened at the end when you left Mamma Mia? <laughs> that is such a leading question, like mm. you that you've led with the burnout and then asked me. Okay. <laughs> It's all a bit of a blur now, but I had worked really hard for a couple of years, like really hard, like probably to the detriment of other parts of my life. Um, I moved to Melbourne. I dived into work at Mamma Mia and uh, work was my entire life and I loved it. Like, And the other thing is, is like that was my choice. I chose to work that hard. Um, but then I had this miscarriage and I think that, you know, sometimes when you go through a really big life situation or a grief period, you kind of um, reassess what's important. And I think I did that and I thought, okay, I'm just going to be completely honest. I thought, I think I convinced myself that the stress of that job led to my miscarriage. That's what I was thinking. I was working crazy hours. I like, at one point, one of my teeth fell out. I had like really bad back problems. I had this rash all over my face. And my husband was like, well, maybe if you just actually stopped working, you would get, you know, you could get on top of all this stuff. And I was like, no, 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 I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm into it. And but meanwhile, my body was falling apart. And then I think the miscarriage, I just in my head, I was like, maybe, maybe does have a correlation. I don't know. So then once that thought was in my head, it was kind of hard to um, get it out. And Mamma Mia were amazing. Like Mia was amazing. She she totally got it. She was like, just pull back, go on a break. I don't care. Just like take a year off, come back whenever you want. Da, 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 da. Um, but then the ABC job came up, the executive producer there. And I've always held such a candle for the ABC. I just love the ABC. I worked there um, back in Adelaide. I spent some time at Radio National, as I said. And 
it was like, here's this job that I'm really qualified to do. It would be um, probably wouldn't be as intense as the job I was doing at Mum and Me. I think by the time I, when I had left, I was kind of like overseeing maybe six or seven podcasts at once. It was just quite a lot of work to do. And I think at the ABC, it wouldn't have been that much. And I thought, oh, I think I might just, I need to tick that box. I need to go work. I need, I've always loved the ABC. I'm just going to go back there and work there for a bit. Mm. Does that satisfy your answer? Sort of. No, it does. It does. Mm. How did it change the way that you worked? Did you change the way that you approached work when you got to the ABC? No, I didn't. And in fact, my long-suffering boss, Kelly Reardon, had to say to me a couple of times, this is not Mamma Mia. You need to calm down. Like I was like, why aren't we doing this? We need to do this. Let's do this. Like why isn't everyone working? Why does everyone leave work at five o'clock? Like I was just <laughs> like, where is everyone? Like what can we do next? Like push, 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 push. I just pushed her. So, yeah, poor Kelly. <laughs> poor <laughs> Kelly. So, no, I took that, that kind of work with me and... Yeah. I do want to say, like, on the record that I loved Mamma Mia. I know like, people always say to me things like, what was it really like working there? I've never learned so much in a job. I've never been surrounded by so many gung-ho women that work their asses off. I've never had a boss go, oh, yeah, go do that. Yeah, I love it. Go and do it. Like, so much autonomy. When you give it's, – it's really proof that if you give people autonomy – and you let them do what they're good at, they have massive success. And there's a raft of women on the books at Mamma Mia that there is proof of, like Rosie Waterland. Me, it was just like, sure, I've never heard of a recap. You do recaps? Sure, go do your recaps. And then, the, you know, the bachelor, her bachelor recaps was so enormous. She got a book deal, you know, da 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 off she goes. So, um, yeah, on the record, loved it there. Yeah, yeah, my tooth fell out, whatever. That's my own fault. <laughs> That's my own fault. <laughs> Which one? One of the, a big one at the back. Thankfully, not like a oh front God, tooth. Oh, God. Not Imagine like... that. Just getting around with one front tooth at the front. Like, mm. Imagine. I'm missing three. Are you? Yeah. Oh, because you had an accident. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I've got dentures in at the moment. Oh, not so expensive. Dental work's so expensive. Oh, mate. I know. It's insane. Mm. Ridiculous. How are you now? That's what I want to know. As someone who used to like, listen, listen religiously to Mamma Mia out loud, which is a brilliant show. How are you now? How are you going right at this moment? I'm amazing. Thanks for asking. So I don't have a podcast of my own, which I'm a bit sad about really because I just loved, I love a gab, as you know. Um, but I'm so proud of what The Pineapple Project did in that first season. So that was like my big first podcast with the ABC. And one of the things I really wanted to do at the ABC was like, make a show that could affect change on a large scale, right? Because the ABC is so big, it reaches so many people. Um, and I think I really did that with The Pineapple Project um, season one. And so um, work stuff's good. Ted's amazing. Never, you know, hate my husband, but I think that's normal in the first year of a baby's life, just to, like, turn on the ones that you love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're in it together, right? It's so tough. Yeah. We used to have a rule that was said at 3am cannot be repeated. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I've had to um, really swallow my words a couple of times. It's teaching me so many things like patience and humility and, like, don't scream at your husband because there's no spinach in the fridge. It's good, it's good, it's good. <laughs> yeah, as someone who's a perfectionist, have you struggled with that being a mum? Because you just can't get it perfect. That 
Yes, that is the biggest shock to me. It's like all your life you follow like a recipe, you follow the recipe and you get an outcome. With a show, you produce a show, you know what all the elements are for a show and then you get the outcome at the end. A baby, you like I read all the books, um, I read all the forums and the blogs, I came in all arms like just so loaded up with information and none of it makes (laughs) a lick of difference, none of it, none of it. Don't Do not read any books, don't bother. I've read them all. I can tell you it's not worth it. Like nothing you do will have any bearing on your baby at all. Yeah, they come fully formed, right? <sighs> yeah. He's got, Ted has got the most adorable frown. Oh, yeah. He's such a grumpy face. I know. I love it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Are you getting sleep? No. I will one day, I think, uh, but not at the moment. I just really like, uh, I can't tell you what I would give to sleep more than three hours in a row. I would give like... A lot of money or something. I don't know. Another tooth? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. In a gold box. It'll come. It'll come. It's fine. That's what happens with babies, right? You don't sleep. You don't. I read this article on The Guardian the other day that was like parents of babies lose six years of sleep. I was like, oh, is that in the first year? Because I feel like that. I feel like I've aged 10 years in the last three months. I know. I feel, I mean, my son is three and, yeah, I'm still there. Are you? Say yeah. that. Tell me that. No, it does get better. It gets better. You yeah. get more sleep. You do. You do get yeah, more yeah, sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just different sleep. Do you know? I wish this is terrible to say, but a content warning for drug use. <laughs> I wish I'd taken more sleeping pills when I, before I was pregnant. I wish I'd just really like clocked up fifteen hours of sleep in a row. I'm like, why didn't I do that? You're, you're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> no. Was there other stuff you wish that you'd done before you had a baby? <laughs> <laughs> Mainly, like. No, just taking more drugs and sleeping pills. Because <laughs> now you can't take anything because you have a breastfeeding. They're like, hmm, how many Panadols? You've got to have one Panadol for your whole week. Like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, why didn't I just hook into drugs more? Just develop the habit. I know, because I was such a goody two shoes, straight laced person as well. I did none of that. Yeah, same. Just like, yeah, because the responsibility now, because you're responsible for a human person, and that is relentless. I know. That's the thing that surprised me. The relentlessness. The rel- I know it never ends. I know that's the other thing. People are like, "Oh, I hope tomorrow's a better day for you." I'm like, "Tomorrow, tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. You can't. You can't wake up in the morning and have the day reset because the day goes on into the night. It's like the day. When does it end? The day. There's no bookend on your day anymore. There's no start and end because it keeps going into like 10 p.m., 1 p.m., no, 1 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m. Like, yeah, yeah. I know. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. Last question. You should probably cut that drug stuff out. I don't mean like illicit drugs. I mean just like, I don't know. Have three cups of coffee and not care. Yes. Have Maybe have some more sleeping pills. Have an endone. You know, yeah. can't take a Valium. I'm never going to. When am I going to be able to take a sleeping pill ever again in my life? Never. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Life is hard. Mm. Life is hard. Okay. Last thing. What would be the advice that you would give Mons Back in the day when she was that awkward kid. Oh, God. Okay. My first advice is stop plucking your eyebrows. Go and Go and get them professionally done. Like get someone to deal with that shit for you. Get them threaded because I've, oh, man, thank God social media wasn't around when I was that age. Let me just say that. Um, my other advice would be, oh, God, keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. I don't know. What would you tell yourself? 
Yeah, I would t- stop plucking my eyebrows because mine aren't coming back. That's, yeah. I have great eyebrows until I pluck them to within an inch of their life. Yeah. Maybe get yeah. laser hair removal. Wish mm. I'd done a bit more of that. Can't do that now. You can't do it now. I don't think so. I, can't, I don't think you can do it when you're pregnant and I'm not sure if you can do it when you're breastfeeding. Uh, well, you won't be breastfeeding forever. No. Like Ted will one day be like Maybe 45. I'm one of those mums that wants to breastfeed until he's five. And look, everyone's choice. Yep. You don't know that. No, this no is judgment. True. I don't I don't know that. Well, thank you so much, Wands, oh. for coming in and being so brilliant and sharing all that you do and all that you've done for women's voices on the oh, radio. Pleasure. And if people listening have listened this far through, good on you. That's yeah. good. Yeah, you I do think it. yeah, it's gonna be hard for people to click on this one, going, Monique Bowley, who's that? What? But if you're here, thanks for listening. Oh. God, you have so underestimated the love for Mons and have Monique I? Bowley. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know either. That's fine. Yeah, Thanks, cool. Claire. And I am going to take these Anzac biscuits and devour them. They, <gasps> I'm taking a photo for everybody and putting it on my Instagram because I've never seen a more beautiful box of joy. Oh, really? Yeah, I've been, they've been just been wafting up at me. Oh, they're fresh. Podcast. They're fresh <gasps> AF. With fresh ingredients. Fresh ingredients, yes. yes. You've been listening to a podcast called Just Make the Thing with me, Claire Tonti, and this week with Monique Bolly. You can head to her Instagram at Monique Bolly to find out more about what she's doing or go and listen to The Pineapple Project with Claire Hooper. That's the show she produced and, my goodness, it's brilliant. Mamma Mia Out Loud has lots of old episodes with Monique as well as Hello Bump too. Lots of places to find her. For more episodes just like this one, please subscribe. Give us a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. We would love to hear from you. Um, You can also email the show at justmakethethingpod at gmail.com. I've got lots more interviews like this one with Claire Bowditch and Jamila Rizmi and Will Anderson and Celia Pacola and Luke McGregor and lots of open-hearted chats with other creatives who make things, especially if you're like me out there stuck. Go and check those out. People have described this show as counselling for creatives. I think it's selfish. I think it's counselling for me. So anyway, I hope you found this useful. Until next time, have a wonderful week. Talk to you soon. Bye. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER. Exclusions apply. See site for details.